This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Jason Burns and Access Church in Lakeland, Florida. For more information, visit access.tv. Let's get to work. Starting a brand new series of messages for the month of August called All In. And in this series, I'm gonna challenge every person in our church to draw a line in the sand and to say, God, I'm giving you everything I have. Like no more games, no more one foot in, one foot out following Jesus, but I'm going all in with everything I have. And the whole heart for the series came out of one simple question. Here's what it is. What would happen if I gave God one year? Like what if you just made this decision that from today, the first Sunday in August, till the first Sunday in August next year, you're giving God everything you've got. No more games, no more half in, half out, no more playing church, no more just showing up to check the religious box that you went to church one day, but you're saying, God, I'm all in with you. Here's what I think could happen. About 20 something years ago, I made this decision for my life, that it's not enough to go to church, it's not even enough to serve a church, that I have to literally go all in to get all that God has for me. Now this time of year is so important for us as a church, here's why. If you think about the Bible, the Bible often uses agrarian language, it's farmer language. And often the fall is seen as harvest time. We've seen that every fall at Access. Our church expands in so many ways. And I've got some incredible news. This summer, like look around, we're still in summer. School hasn't started yet. Our college students aren't back. People are still on vacation. And it's amazing all that God has done. We've been averaging almost 1,500 people a week in the summer. And so in this time of year, I always like to encourage us. I like to challenge us to ask God, God, what do you have for me? And what is my part to play in this next season? Now, in a message series like this, sometimes we might talk about things like this. We might say, here's where we're going. And there will be some of that in this series, but instead of just focusing on where we're going, I'd like to talk more about saying, here's who we are. You see, if we can determine our identity as followers of Christ, everything else, it'll take, it'll take its natural course. So here's what I wanna do over the next three Sundays. I wanna talk incredibly practically about what it means to go all in with Jesus. I'm gonna talk about very specific things that we can do, but today I wanna talk about something that's not practical. I wanna talk about something that is intrinsically spiritual. You see, here's what I understand. If we can do all the next three weeks of things but we don't have today's topic right, none of it will matter. It'll feel like religious obligation. But if we get this first piece right, I'm so glad you're here today. If we get this first message content right in our hearts, it'll transform everything else for us. But one of the most famous verses in all the Bible is found in the book of Jeremiah. In fact, there's a famous verse in Jeremiah chapter one and there's another famous one in Jeremiah 29. And what's so fascinating to me is a lot of Christians use these verses on bumper stickers or on t-shirts, but in between Jeremiah one and Jeremiah 29, his whole world falls apart. It literally falls into crumbled pieces. And at the end of all of this mess, God says to Jeremiah this. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And that's where most Christians stop reading. But I want you to see the next part. He says, in those days when you pray, I will listen. Then I love this next part. He says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, if you look for me with everything you've got, if you don't leave anything on the table, if the chips are pushed into the middle, if you step across the line, if you go all in wholeheartedly, then you will find me. Here's my hope. My hope is that all of us just make this decision to say, God, whatever it takes, you have my whole heart, I'm all in. 
In fact, I could summarize it like this. I'll never get the best of what God has to offer until I give God my best. So, so what would it look like if all of us just made this decision that we're not gonna play games, we're not just going to do church, but today I wanna start with the message that says we are people who are marked by the presence of God. If we could just be honest for a moment, there's lots and lots of churches, sometimes we even might fall into this trap where we come to church and really church is about serving me, church is about my needs, church is about me being happy, so we get in the car after we leave and we say, what did you think about today? All oh, the music was good, the pastor was so distractingly handsome, but whatever, I got over it. Like, <laughs> thank you. And uh, the truth is, is that we have this tendency of making church all about us. It's, it's what I call country club Christianity. It's all about me, it's about like being a member and getting my needs met and making me happy. But from the very onset of the series, I just wanna ask the question, what if we rejected this idea? And we said, God, it's not just about singing a couple songs, it's not just about hearing a compelling message and getting back in our cars and pretending it never happened, but it's saying, God, whatever you have for me, I got everything to give back to you. Let's go all in, let's pray. So God, in these next few minutes, we invite you to speak to us, challenge us, and change us. God, it's not okay if we have church and go through all the motions, but your presence isn't here. So speak us, change us, mark our souls. May today be one of those moments that we look back a year from today and we say, God, I'm so thankful that I took the challenge and I went all in with you. And may we leave different because your presence has changed us. We thank you for it, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, yesterday was the last Saturday of my kids' summer break. And so yesterday I did the thing you do to celebrate. I got born and bred. If you're not familiar with that, it is the best carbs in all of Lakeland. And I got these donuts and we, we ate all this, this croissants and like my kids are in a sugar coma, you know, right? And it's all weird. And we're sitting around and my wife did that thing that parents do at the end of vacations or at the end of seasons of their life. She said, okay, let's do this. Let's go around the table and I want everyone to say what their favorite thing from summer was. And I was the person to her right, so I was the first one to go. And I'm gonna be honest for a moment, I struggled. We had the best summer. It was full and it was fun and it was full of adventure. And I couldn't pick which, which moment to say. In fact, let me give you a quick rundown of my summer. Just a few weeks ago, my daughter and I went on a little vacation together, a little daddy-daughter vacation. We've been doing this for six years. When she was three years old, she affectionately named this vacation Daddy Handsome Elocation. Daddy handsome, obviously, and that hurt a little bit. No one can call me that, by the way, but her, and um, allocation. And so we've been doing this for years, and we've gone all over the place with each other. This year, we went to Sarasota. We had the best time together. We got a hotel. We, just, we had the best time we played. We played mini golf together. I took her to this Amish restaurant called Yoder's. She had a dessert that she said was the best dessert she's ever had in her whole life. It was unbelievable. We had adventure like rope climbing and outdoor stuff. We spent time together in the pool. This was me and her after eating that pie. We had a great time together, it was fun. Went to the beach at night because it's summer in Florida and I don't think anybody should go to the beach during the day because it is so hot. We had the best time, thought about that. 
I thought about how earlier in the summer, my boys and I went on a mission trip with our church to Honduras together. We had the best time and we, we served together. We served hundreds and hundreds of kids. My children both had these dramatic encounters with God as they served children that I believe forever marked their souls. And it was just such a great time. We had a blast together. Earlier in the summer, my wife and I, we did this thing where we save all of our money throughout the year because we've started realizing that my oldest son, Joey, turned 16 this month. That means up your car insurance, everybody. It's gonna get scary out there. And, and so we've realized that the summers, we're, we're, we're losing time, it's going so fast. So we said we gotta do some big moments together that my kids will forever remember. So to start the summer right after school got out, we went to Alaska together. We had the most amazing time. It was like whatever the opposite of Florida was, there was mountains, there was snow on the ground. We did a cruise together for several days. We saw some of the most beautiful, picturesque scenery. It was amazing. One of my favorite moments happened in a little city called Juneau. We ported for the day, and we got off, and before we got off, I had checked the weather on my phone, and it said it should actually be pretty temperate, like low 70s, and I thought this will be great. So I came off not appropriately dressed. My boys did the same, and we got off, and it was freezing outside. So I got to do something, and across the street, there was this little t-shirt shop, and so I said, boys, just run in there and find an Alaska sweatshirt. I don't care, let's just get one. And they were all boring Alaska sweatshirts, and I was like, we got to do something better. And it was like the Lord parted the heavens, and a ray of light shined down, and I found the perfect sweatshirt for all of us. It's this wolf howling at the moon. Zoom in on it for me if you would. And it's one of the best moments of my whole life. By the way, this EP drops on iTunes and Spotify next week if you want to get a copy. It was awesome. And I thought about all these moments. I thought about all the meals we shared, all the adventure we had, all the places we went. It was all incredible, but I was put on the spot and I said, what was the best part of summer? And I got weepy. And I said... It was none of those things. It was that we did all of those things together. It was that we did all of this together, together with each other, laughing together, staying up late together, getting up early, going on adventures, climbing things, swimming in places. We, just, we had the best summer, but the reason it was best isn't because we did those things. It's because we did them together. If you were to imagine what God wants from his church, what do you think it is? I would think it's as simple as he just wants to be with us together in his presence. And the funny thing is we can get so good at church that we can program God literally out of it. We can do church in a way that's excellent. The music is flawless. They never miss a lyric. The messages are engaging and funny and good and the kids have a great time. But God's presence isn't even there. Church leaders from around the country call me and they ask my advice for how, how do you do services and what do you do here and how do you do this for kids and how do you create environments where people love to attend church? And the truth is, if I could just be honest with you, it is entirely possible for me to work with our incredible staff to plan services and just leave God out. God's desire, though, is that we would join together in his presence to experience him. One of the most beautiful ways I can show this to you is in the book of Exodus. If you're new to the Bible, Exodus is the second book in the Bible. And Exodus literally starts, here's the background of the story, the people of Israel, who God calls his chosen people, they find themselves in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. 
It's hard to get your mind around that. That's longer than our country has been a country. For 400 years, the people of Israel are held in captivity. They're held in slavery. They work in the dirt, for dirt, for this abusive leader named Pharaoh. And for generation after generation after generation, they are physically in slavery, but they're mentally in slavery, spiritually in slavery. They are fully in captivity. And then out of nowhere, out of obscurity, God raises this nobody named Moses to prominence. Moses goes to Pharaoh and speaks on behalf of God and says, this isn't okay. God says to let his people go. Through a whole series of dramatic events, Pharaoh chooses to let the people of Israel go. This is where God parts the Red Sea for the people of Israel. He feeds them in miraculous ways. And the whole first half of the book of Exodus is about God getting the people out of Egypt. The second half of the book is so interesting because just because they were out of Egypt physically, doesn't mean they were out mentally and emotionally and spiritually. The second half of the book is God getting Egypt out of the people. He's like working them into their preferred spiritual identity that he has for them. So God leads them out of slavery and he's leading them to a place that he told Moses is called the promised land. Scripture uses this beautiful illustrative language. It says it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And God leads them to this place, and along the way, in the second half of the book, God says to Moses, come up on this mountain and be with me on this mountain. So Moses does, and God gives him the Ten Commandments, these beautiful Ten Commandments. And he's there for like over a month, and while he's there for over a month, it is so fascinating. The people of Israel who are left at the foot of the mountain, they lose their collective minds. Instead of remembering God's faithfulness and remembering that God had delivered them, they literally turn from God. They have Moses' brother Aaron and like the youth in turn build an idol for them. It's a cow out of gold. They build it and they're worshiping this. It's this really interesting moment. Sometimes I read it and I'm like, how could people do this? In one month, how could all these people collectively lose their mind? And then I remember 2020. And, um, right? 2020, everything was normal, and then it wasn't normal. Then we stayed home to flat, flatten the curve, and then it's like we didn't flatten the curve, and two weeks turned into three, and three weeks turned into a month, and our whole country went crazy. Everybody remember this? That's what happens to the people of Israel. They go crazy in this moment, and God says to Moses something so interesting. He says, go back and take the people to the place I promised, but because of what they've done, I won't go with them. Exodus chapter 33 picks up there. Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying, I will give it to your descendants. He says, I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, Terminites, all the ites, we'll get rid of all of them. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But here's the language, he says, I will not go with you And then he uses this Old Testament, like your mama joke, because you are a stiff-necked people. Try using that one with your boss at work tomorrow. You are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Here's what God says to Moses. I'm going to give you everything I promised you. The promised land is flowing with milk and honey, an angel to go with you. Moses, you can even go as their preferred spiritual leader. You can all go, but I'm not going to go with you. And that begs this question that I wanna wrestle with you today. If God gave you everything you ever wanted, but he withheld himself, would you take that deal? If God answered all of your prayers, but he says you get the answer to the prayer, but you don't get me, would you take the deal? 
Maybe you've prayed for a miraculous healing and it feels like your prayer has fallen on deaf ears. Would you take the deal? Maybe you've prayed for financial breakthrough and it feels like God hasn't come through yet and you would just say, I'll sign on the dotted line. I don't care if I get God, I just want the answer to my prayer. This is actually the line of demarcation between religious people and people who have literally encountered the very living presence of the living God. You see, religious people say, well, I don't really have a relationship anyway, so I'd at least like to get something out of this deal. People who've encountered the living God say it doesn't matter if I get everything if I don't get God along with it. It's his presence that changes everything. In fact, I think this is actually a beautiful picture of what heaven is going to be. Heaven is literally, like we get focused on the streets of gold and all the different jewels and everything. No, heaven is about forever in the presence of God. Conversely, the Bible doesn't speak a ton about heaven and hell, but I, I think hell is actually just the opposite. It's the absence of the presence of God for eternity. You see, you can have everything and not have God and you find that you have nothing. Or you can have nothing, but you have God and you realize you have everything that you need. So I want you to do a quick spiritual audit. If God gave you everything you've ever wanted, all your hopes, all your prayers, all your dreams, if God gave you everything you've wanted, but he withheld himself, would you take the deal? This is what God is asking the people of Israel. I'm gonna give you the promised land and the angel and Moses and everything else, but I'm not going with you. And the people of Israel who have gotten everything wrong so far, all of a sudden finally get it right. It goes on verse four to say this. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn. And no one put on any ornaments, for the Lord God said to Moses, tell the Israelites you are a stiff-necked people. I love that so much. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now I want you to see Moses is now gonna go meet with God. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. They knew this was a place where Moses was going to encounter God. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Imagine how cinematic and beautiful this picture is. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance of their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses, and I love this language, face to face, not in parables or dreams or visions. He would speak to him face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, here's what I want you to do. Teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people, and I want you to pay attention to the language God uses. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you. Okay, I want you to notice this. You, Moses, singular. And I will give you, Moses, singular, rest. God's like, all the people, they've had their chance and they haven't been faithful to me so they can go to the promised land and they can get all of the blessing without the person of me. But you've been faithful, so I will go with you, Moses, and I will give you, Moses, rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, plural, with all of us, do not send us up from here. 
How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? And then I love this next question. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people of the face of the earth? Pause here for just a moment. This is a profound question for every person in this room to wrestle with. If you don't carry the presence of God in every part of your life, what distinguishes you from the people who have no relationship with God? For those of you students going back to school, middle school, high school, college, whatever it is, you should be a carrier of the presence of God in every relationship so that when people see you, they're like, I, I don't know what it is, but there's something different about you. Well, one of the things I'm proud about my oldest son Joey for is that like, there's people on his football team, there's people in his classes who will stop making jokes around him that are inappropriate because Joey's in the room. It's really easy to think, well, what's wrong with me? No, no, something's right with you when people shape up because you're a carrier of the presence of God. Like if you show up on the job site tomorrow and people don't know there's something different about you because you've encountered the presence of the living God, I'd like to ask a question, what is wrong with your relationship with God? God says to Mo Moses, says God, what will distinguish me and your people from all the things? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses replied, now show me your glory. It's a funny statement because the truth is this feels churchy. We sing songs that say, God, show me your glory. And we don't even really know what this means. The word glory means beauty, but it means something different. It means the full weight of the presence of a person. And so Moses says, God, listen, if I found favor in your eyes and if you truly love me, all I want is another encounter with you. The next few verses catalog this incredible encounter that Moses has with God that forever transforms his life and as a result changes the people around him. You ever, um, you, ever, you ever lost someone that you love? You ever forgotten to bring someone along with you? You ever had this happen to you? I'll never forget some years ago, my wife and my family and I, we went to Dallas to spend some days with my family, but there were so many people coming in that we just got a hotel for ourselves. And so we were in this hotel on one of the higher floors, and there was a day when we were gonna leave the hotel to go see family or friends, and we get out in the hallway, and my boys did that thing that boys do. Now, they were little at the time, and at that stage of life, the single most important thing is to be the first one to the elevator so you can push the button. Everybody know what I'm talking about? To take off running down the hallway, and they fight for who pushes the button first. And I'll never forget it. Like, they ran ahead, and I was waiting for Liz and little Ella to come out. And as they, as they pushed the button, the doors opened, and I don't know what overcame them. They just stepped in. And they were little at the time, and I freaked out. I took off running down the hall. I was like, guys, guys. And before I could get my hand to, to, in the door to stop it from closing, the door closed, and I could see the look of horror on their face. <laughs> now, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm like white, like super white, 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 right? They turned a shade of white brighter than the sun. Like, it was just white, white. I saw the color drain out, and they just they took off, and I didn't know what to do in this moment, I freaked out for a moment. I had lost my two sons. I knew where they were, but I didn't know where they were. I didn't know if they would get off at the next time it stopped. I didn't know if I needed to run to the bottom. And so I stood there for maybe 60 seconds, but it felt like an eternity. When the doors opened, they stood there and they said, you lost us. <laughs> this is not my fault. What are you talking about? All of us have had moments like that, right? Here, here's a worse one. Um, some years ago, my wife and I had a dog. His name was Winston. We loved this dog, a little Boston Terrier. We got Winston before we had kids. When you get a dog before you have kids, you love your dog like it's a 
child of yours. People will be like, oh, when did you adopt this dog? And my wife was like, I didn't adopt it. This is my biological son. Like she loved this dog. And Winston did the thing that dogs do. He got really old. And at the end of his life, he was just really skinny. Um, he had cataracts on both eyes. If we moved the furniture, it was like cruelty to him. Like he didn't know where things were. It was just kind of a sad time. Well, there was a day when the whole day went by, and at night we got on Facebook, and um, we noticed in our neighborhood Facebook group, which, by the way, I think hell is going to be like a neighborhood Facebook group, right? <laughs> Full of complaining and racism and all everything else in between. So I get on the neighborhood Facebook group, and there is a picture of my scrawny, cataract, messed up looking dog, Winston, and there's this beautiful caption written. It should have been written by Maya Angelou herself. It said, Whose malnourished, distressed dog is this? So I took the walk of shame six or seven houses down, found my dog, brought him back to the house, and that was embarrassing for me. But can I tell you what was worse than that? Was I didn't know he was gone the whole day. I wonder how many churches come to church, do the God thing, but God's not there and they have no idea. If you don't encounter the presence of the living God, all we've done is appease your conscience and make you feel like you've checked your religious box for the week. But when you get this right, when you understand what it means to be marked, stamped by the physical presence of God, it changes everything. So here's how I wanna end today. I wanna end with four ways of that it looks like, here's what it looks like to be marked by the presence of God. If you have your message notes, pull them out. Number one is simply this. If, if you wanna be marked by the presence of God, you need to know it means that we're growing in our awareness of his nearness. We're growing in our awareness of his nearness. Let me tell you this quick story. When I started my doctoral program a few years ago, I had a meeting with a man who became really a mentor in my life. And we sat down and he said, okay, what are your goals for this doctoral program? I said, well, three, I'd like to graduate. I'd like to be Dr. Jason Burns someday. Uh, number two, I'd love to learn something that changes my life. I'd like to get smarter. Number three is I, I would like to not lose my soul in the process. You ever known someone who got a doctorate and they became a consummate jerk to everyone else around them, condescending, talking down? I didn't want to be that. And he goes, well, let's start with number three. He goes, the fact that you identify that as something you're aware of means you won't do it. It's interesting, the single greatest key to change is awareness. You'll never intentionally lose weight unless you're aware that you need to track what you eat and how much you exercise. You'll never fix a broken relationship unless you're aware of your faults in it so that you can address them. Awareness is the key that drives change. And we need to be people who are aware that God's presence is always near us. Think about the creation narrative. God pushes the dirt together and it says he breathes into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. Here's what I love about that. That word for breath literally translates the same as the word soul. God breathes his soul into humanity. It means that every time you take a breath, you should be reminded that I am living on borrowed breath, that God and his presence are closer to me than my very next breath. What does this mean? It means if you're lonely, you never have to go to bed at night in your life feeling alone. Because he's near. It means if you're depressed, 
it means you find yourself struggling with anxiety, you have a friend who's closer than a brother. If you need guidance for your life, he's there. His word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. I could give you a thousand reasons his nearness is a blessing, but I also think that his presence being near should serve as a cautionary tale to all of us. It should be a yellow card to all of us. Here's why. Because when you find yourself tempted to cross that line, when you find yourself tempted to cut that corner on your taxes, when you find yourself willing to go to that website or it's 11 o'clock at night and you've watched that movie with your girlfriend and you're alone in your house and there's nobody who will know what you do and you know what's right and you know what's wrong, but honestly, the train has left the station and it's getting harder and harder to stop the momentum, you're aware of his presence. It should serve both as a blessing and a cautionary tale. I love what David said in Psalm 139. He says, where can I go from your spirit and where can I flee from your presence? And if it wasn't clear, he says, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold, hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. David is using creation to say that God is so near. So number one, we live in an awareness of his, of his nearness. Number two, we are growing in our hunger for God. Every relationship, every marriage tends to follow the same sort of trajectory. It starts with attraction, and there is nothing wrong with attraction. My wife is so attracted to me, and uh, <laughs> I'll pay for that one later. There is nothing wrong with attraction, but attraction is the spark of the relationship. If, um, if we could go back in time, you ever play that game where you're like, if you could go back in time, what would you tell your former self? If I could go back in time, I would advise all of you, invest in Hallmark cards. Because early in my relationship with Liz, I bought every Hallmark card there was but every flower I could afford, I wrote every sweet note that I could to show her how much I cared for her, how much I liked her, eventually how much I loved her. I wanted her to know. Like it reached the point where she said to me, you know, I, I feel the same way and you don't have to buy me every single card. Over time, what tends to happen is the desire tends to fade and contentment tends to settle in. And when contentment settles in, we tend to take things for granted. I wonder if it's the same thing in your relationship with God. I wonder if there was a time when you made a decision to follow Jesus and you couldn't wait to spend time with him. You, you set your alarm 15 minutes earlier so you could have time with him, but then over time, comfort settles in and contentment settles in and you find yourself just happy if you show up to church once every three or four weeks. People marked by the presence of God can't get enough of it. They're hungry for it. You find yourself not waking up to see what's new on TikTok or Instagram that you missed last night, but you find yourself waking up and saying, God, I just want a few minutes unhurried in your presence. Changes things. Number three, we are transformed by his presence. And I love this so much because God's goal when we get with him is that he would actually make us more like Jesus. And the funny thing is we just get so busy we get so country club, Christian-minded, so consumer-minded that we miss it altogether. I'll never forget one of the formative moments in my life. I was probably 16 years old. My family and I went to Fiji on a missions trip. 
And on this mission trip, there was this kind of capstone event at the very end of the trip where 10,000 people from the neighboring island countries around Fiji were coming together to have an outdoor worship service. And we get there and it's in this big open field and there's this huge stage set up and there's a band who's getting themselves ready to worship and getting themselves ready to go. And then all of a sudden, it was like a movie. This massive dark cloud rolled out like a sheet over the sky and the heavens opened and storms began to fall. It was heavy rain. It was crazy. And it was so funny because if this was America, we'd be like, all right, we'll reschedule for some time in the future. We would be more concerned about getting our Nike dunks muddy but the people stood and they waited in the rain. As soon as the clouds stopped pouring, the, the band dried everything off and they started to play and the people from the outskirts, they made their way to the field and that field turned to mud as the people danced in the presence of God. It had nothing to do with the music. It had nothing to do with the environment. They were there to meet with God. Let me ask you a question. If we decided to sell everything, we got rid of the lights and the stage and the TV and the screens. If we decided to worship with no band, if we decided to just come and seek the presence of God together, would you still come? One of my favorite Sundays ever in the history of Access, our church met at a high school many years ago. There was a Sunday we got there and everything was set up and ready to go and right before service, power went out on us. We had a choice to make in that moment. Do we stay and fight through or do we just pack it up and say, guys, we'll catch you next week. But we stayed and our worship leader got up and he led us in songs from just a guitar, just an acoustic guitar. And hundreds of people stood in the heat of that auditorium because there was no electricity, there was no air conditioning. They were sweating as they worshiped, but they worshiped God. We had a shortened message, but we worshiped together. And I look back at it and I think, why did I like that so much? It's because it was so pure. It was just people seeking the presence of God. Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians in Eugene Peterson's translation, the message says, whenever though they turn their face to God as Moses did, which we just read a moment ago, God removes the veil and there they are face to face. Like when we get in God's presence, we can meet with them face to face. They, they suddenly recognize that God is a living personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old uh, constricting legislation is recognized is obsolete, we're free of it, all of us, nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of his face and so we are transfigured much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become more like him. You can't help yourself, but when you get in the presence of God, you're going to become more like him. Number four and then we're done. We become people of power. I like to read the book of Acts. It's about the first church. The Holy Spirit comes and this church is so empowered by God's Holy Spirit. And can I tell you as I've read the book of Acts what nobody says? Nobody says, hey, come to my church. You've gotta hear the speaker, he's so funny. Nobody says, we have the best band in all of Jerusalem. Nobody says, our children's ministry smokes the churches around us. No one says anything like that. But people come together because they want to encounter the power of God's transformative living Holy Spirit. Changes everything for us. Paul in the book of Ephesians, he says this, Ephesians 3.12, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. 
We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in shame. We can approach God with boldness and confidence. And the result is we're with him. We experience him. We're marked by his presence. And here's the point. Then we are changed. It's always been God's heart. It's always been God's goal that we would be forever changed by his presence. Moses he asked for two things. The first thing is the question that I've already talked about. He says, God, if I don't have your presence with me, what will distinguish me from the world around me? I wanna ask you the question as well. If you're not marked by the presence of God, how are you any different than the people you're called to reach? Second thing is this. He says, God, because you know me, because you've marked my soul, because you've transformed me, now what I want is I want to experience your glory. I'm gonna ask you to pray a different prayer this week. All week when you wake up, may these be the first words of your mouth, say, God, would you show me your glory? Glory is the beauty of who you are, but it is the full weight. It's the transformative power of who you are. Because God, I don't wanna go through another day, I don't wanna go through another conversation without your presence, without your power, without your strength. I, I can't do it on my own, I, I need you for everything. What would it look like if before we talk about all the things that God asks us to do to be all in, we said, God, we're all in with you. And if we get nothing, well, we still have you. If we get all the blessings that you promise and all the provision you promise, but you leave us, we've lost everything. All we want is you. If you believe that, will you stand up with me all across this room? We're gonna end in a different way. In a moment, I'm gonna pray for you and I want our team to sing a song, to lead us in a song that just declares, God, show me your glory. That's all I want is to be marked by your presence. Let's pray and then we're gonna worship together. So God, in this moment, we invite you to do that thing that only you can do. Change us, transform us, make us more like you, Jesus. God, may the results of our time and our encounters with you be that the world around us sees and knows God, I pray for miracles like happened in the New Testament where our shadow touches people and they're healed and it's not because of us, but it's because we're so full of your power and your presence. And God, may this church never settle for just doing good church. May we never settle for a few good songs and an engaging message and good children's ministry, but may we gather because we're here to encounter you. So God, like Moses, here's our prayer today. It's our prayer this week. It's our prayer this season. God, show us your glory so we may become more like you.